Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. The first question and answer of the Shorter Catechism is simply this. What is the chief end of man? The answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You may not know this, but the word glory in the Bible has two aspects to it. One is inherent or intrinsic glory. God is the only being to have intrinsic glory. It already belongs to Him because of who He is. If no one ever gave God glory, He would still be the most glorious because that's who He is. It's intrinsic. The second aspect of glory is that which is ascribed. When we give God glory, we don't add to His glory We simply just acknowledge what's already there. So take a moment and contrast man's chief end from a biblical view with that of the the world. According to the thinking of the world, the chief end of man is to glorify himself and to enjoy himself as much as he can, for as long as he can. That contrast, I find, is enormous. One puts God at the center of all things, and yet the other puts Christ at the center, uh, the world at the center, the self at the center, I mean. Now, whatever philosophy you choose, if it's going to be to glorify myself or to glorify God, will literally determine everything in your life. It will determine your priorities, it will determine your values, and I would even argue that it would determine your destiny. As Christians, we know that we're made by God and put here for the glory of God. There is no higher calling than to live for God's glory. The question comes in, how do we do that? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we've been set free from the penalty and the power of sin, and and thereby we also have been set free from a list of rules and regulations. We now live by the leading of the Holy Spirit in concert with what's already written in the Word of God. But like so many things, there there are a lot of gray areas in life. We've been covering some of those in Corinthians. So the focus this morning of our text this morning found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through 11.1, it considers the problems that can arise as we try to practice walking in our freedom in Christ for the glory of Christ. In this particular passage, the Apostle Paul deals with the question of our Christian freedom. It is the question of how we are to live practically so that our lives glorify God and yet at the same time are for the good of our neighbor. So this text this morning, I believe, kind of revolves around these three things to consider on how really to live for the glory of God and the good of my neighbor. So in fashion that we have here of honoring the reading of God's Word, I wonder if you would stand to your feet as I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 23, 
going through chapter 11, verse 1. The Word of God says these words. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but all things, they don't edify. So let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking question for conscience sake. Earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, then don't eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For, for why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Now pay attention here. This is an amazing verse of Scripture. Whether then you eat or drink or what Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Here's the first thing that, that kind of jumps out of this, and that is this. We must understand the principles of Christian freedom. The principles of Christian freedom. In verses 23 through 30, Paul's going to give us three principles about using our freedom for God's glory. And he kind of starts out by saying this. He says, we must choose edification over enjoyment. We must choose edification over enjoyment. Look in verse 23. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. That, that's a summary statement of our freedom. Paul had been using that phrase in Corinth, and, and the Corinthians had taken it to justify to do anything that they wanted to do. I mean, Paul said everything's lawful, so guess what? We're just going to do it all. We're just going to do anything and everything we want. Paul has just said, he's taught us over and over and over again that everything is up for us to do. But Paul has also explained earlier what he's meant by that phrase. He meant that we are free to do those things which are not explicitly forbidden in the Bible as being sinful. I mean, all things are lawful refers to the gray areas that are not specifically forbidden by the Bible. So the word profitable means beneficial, helpful, or advantageous. The word edify there means literally to build a house, and by extension, it means the figurative building of anyone or anything. Most of the time in Scripture, it refers to that which is of spiritual growth. So then what he's really saying is that things are profitable as long as they edify. The concept of edifying others is constant in Scripture. Here are just a few places. Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for what, church? Edification. 
according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. So all of my words are supposed to be meant for edifying. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore encourage one another and do what? Build up one another just as you're doing. This is a theme in Paul's writings. But what does this mean? Well, when you're faced with whether or not to do something, you know, should, should I go and watch this movie or, or should, I, should I get involved with this kind of uh, whatever? These questions, these gray areas. If the scriptures have specifically said you are not to do it, then it's clear you're not to do it. But if the scriptures haven't spoken of it, there's one more step. You're not just free to go do it. Paul's saying, You've also now got to consider whether it's going to build somebody else up if you do it. If yes, if, if I'm free to do it, then I need to do it in such a way that's for the glory of God. And the way that that happens is, is if it's also for the good of my neighbor. In other words, this all things are lawful for me is the philosophy that we are free to do whatever we choose as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. That, that's the, the, the philosophy of the world today. I mean, love is love, right? It's not hurting you. It's not hurting anybody else. So we're just free to do anything we want to do. And that, that's the philosophy of the world. It's the popular philosophy of our culture, as a matter of fact. And it sounds so plausible. Of course, the real challenge comes in actually knowing if my action really does hurt anybody else or not. For some, that might be really easy, but the world is a very complex place in which people don't live in isolation. And seemingly insignificant decisions on my part have a totally unconsidered impact on other people's lives. Like a stone, you know, thrown into the center of a pond, a ripple effect may be produced with unintended results. So concerning my freedom about what I'm supposed to do, I not only ask if the Scripture has already said no to it, but I have to also consider with what I'm choosing to do, will it edify others? It is the way of Jesus. Y'all know that. It's the way of love. It's a love so great that it gives itself away and gives its rights away for the sake of others. So Paul says in verse 24, he says it a little differently. He says, so let no one seek his own good. In other words, I can do things and it might be for my good, but, but that's not what I'm here for. Not to seek my own good. I'm to seek that of the good of my neighbor. So concerning my freedom, I must make choices that consider the good of others, their edification, how my choice might affect them. And that's the way we do things for the glory of God and the good of my neighbor. Secondly, Paul says, we must choose liberty over legalism. Liberty over legalism. Look there in verse 25. He says, hey, going back to the meat market, Paul comes here often. Anything that's sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. That's a familiar phrase. For the earth is the Lord and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, Eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. There it is again. Now this kind of counterbalances the other one because the good of others is a major concern, but their standards shouldn't rule everything that I do. I must keep from offending my brother or my sister, but I shouldn't go to the legalistic extreme of making an issue out of everything that I do. 
He says to eat anything in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. As you know, we've been teaching through this, and, and, and the, the, the idols, they were everywhere, and so they had to sacrifice all these things to them, and those meat markets would be everywhere, and you could go to get the cheapest meat in town from that. They would sacrifice the meat to an idol, and then they would take you back to the butcher's shop because the idol's not going to eat it, and they would take you back to the, the shop, and they would sell it for cheap. And so Paul says, hey, when you go there and you want to get cheap meat, hey, go for it. Go for it. You're free to do that. And he quotes Psalm 24.1 there. He says, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. In other words, it belonged to the Lord before it belonged to that meat market. Eat it. It's good. Go for it. But we find a similar statement in 1 Timothy 4, chapter 4, uh, chapter 4 verses 4 and 5. He says, for everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. This is interesting, so follow Paul's logic here. Because now he jumps down into verse 27 and he says, Hey, if an unbeliever asks you to eat meat with him, do it. And don't ask questions for conscience sake. In other words, we wouldn't want to take our freedom and then make it an issue where there wasn't an issue. We wouldn't want to turn liberty, my freedom now, into legalism and start asking questions. Well, has this meat been sacrificed to idols? If the unbeliever doesn't care, Paul is saying you shouldn't care either. Don't turn this into something that it's not. In other words, there are some things that we will be free to do with people who don't know Jesus because it's not against their conscience. And there are some things that we will not be able to do with believers because it is against their conscience. This is where people get lost. I mean, how could you go down to the bar and hang out with those boys, but yet you're all the time saying we shouldn't be in those places? Well, for some people going, for a believer, it would violate your conscience for me to be in a place like that. So I wouldn't go in a place like that with you. But if I have a lost friend who invited me to go to that place with him, I could go to that place with him. And it wouldn't be wrong for me. This is where we don't want to turn liberty into legalism. That's what Paul is trying to say. Then he thirdly, he says this, we must choose conscience over condemnation. Verses 28 through 30, he says, but if anyone says to you, now this anyone here, Paul is switching and he's switching it. This anyone is now a believer. Because he's clarified up above that if an unbeliever, now he turns back to the believer. But if anyone, namely a believer, says to you, hey, that meat is sacrificed to idols, don't, de- don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you for conscience sake. I mean, not yours, but that man's. Why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If a believer is there and tells you, like if you're out there and a believer says, hey, you can't eat that because it's been sacrificed to idols, then Paul says, don't argue with them. Don't try to condemn them that they're not as free as you are. We wouldn't want to condemn a believer struggling with getting away from his past. 
We talked about that earlier in Corinthians, if we remember. Some of those guys were so involved in idol worship, and they had just been recently saved out of idol worship. So so to bring that back up, man, it caused problems for them. Like, I just broke free from that. I don't know that I can eat meat. It bothers my conscience, right? We wouldn't want to offend or condemn that brother for saying, hey, why don't you, man, look, you can eat anything, bro. Why don't you just grow up and get over it? That's so condemning. You to meet them where they're at, so we choose their conscience over condemning them. He says we wouldn't want to make them feel bad because they don't have the freedoms that we do. Paul says that our freedom should not be judged by another's conscience. That is, we should not, we should not let the cause of our freedom be slandered by expressing it in ways it would offend a weaker brother. I should consider how my freedom would affect another brother's conscience. Verse 30. But if I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? So Paul's saying, listen, these situations just simply give thanks for your food and your freedom and then express it by choosing not to eat the food that would offend your brother. Another way to ask the question to help you make it make sense is this. How could I give thanks when I know that I'm going to eat something that's going to offend my brother? Lord, thank you for this food. I know it's going to offend Frank, but bless it anyway. That's not what we want to do, is it? So putting conscience over condemnation is a way to glorify God and also be about the good of my neighbor. But let me be clear about something. While I can modify my actions to accommodate another's conscience, I can never accommodate my conscience to make up for somebody else's actions. My conscience still matters. I would never do anything that would violate my conscience, is what Paul would also teach. So I have to not violate theirs, but I certainly don't want to violate mine. In summary, I borrow from Dr. Jack Arnold here. He says there there are three ways Christians deal with the whole subject of these ethics and, and liberties and love. He said the legalist says that all of life is to be governed by law. So he formulates codes and rules and regulations which cover every area of life. And even though the Bible does not speak against the area of questionable practices, a legalist will find some rule somewhere to convey about every situation. I mean, a legalist is going to say, you shouldn't wear blue jeans to preach in. That's what a legalist is going to do. There's nowhere in Scripture that tells me what I'm supposed to wear, is there? Right? But a legalist will find it, right? It's in the book of I say so, you know, verse, verse 5, chapter 14, or second hesitations or something. A Christian legalist does not have to think, evaluate, or pray over matters because they make a rule for everything. For this person, all our most questionable practices are always just wrong. There's certain, this is easy to live this way because I don't have to make choices and I don't have to take risks. The way of the legalist is not biblical and it certainly will kill people's joy and enthusiasm for living. So I have this legalist and then I have the libertine and the libertine just goes the opposite way. He believes in just total freedom. He hates the law. He abhors any kind of restraints. He's a Christian that holds, you know what, just do anything and everything that you want to. If the scripture gives some command or, or is against something, then the libertine just simply ignores it, 
or compromises it or rationalizes it away. There are no questionable practices for the libertine. The libertine abuses his freedom in Christ, so he's always on the fine fine edge between really living for Christ and breaking the law. But then, this is what I say, there's the legalist, and then there's a libertine, and then there's just the person of love. There's a proper balance between law and love. I accept the principle of law. There's some things that Christ has commanded that I shouldn't do. Right? There are things that Christ has commanded that I can do. And so we can't live without the law. We, we need the scriptures. Yet, yeah, but there are many areas where the Christian has freedom. And his liberty comes in the area of questionable practices, whether it's not prohibited in the Bible. So then this tells me whether my conscience tells me it's okay and whether your conscience tells you it's okay. And so the overriding principle is that even when I'm free to do it, I may not do it because I love you. Out of love, I set aside all that I would do for the weaker brother and before my testimony before an unsaved world. So I must understand the principles of Christian freedom. Secondly, I must understand the purpose of Christian freedom. The purpose of Christian freedom. Verse 31. He says, whether then you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or the church of God. You see, the purpose which God has set us free is not so that we can be free. It's so that we can be free to glorify God. Paul is saying, listen to me, don't don't, don't forget this. In the context, he's saying whether you eat or you drink. That means whether I I eat something that's been offered to idols or or whether I drink anything that's there, whatever. Yeah, that, but he's also saying whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Everything is to be done for the glory of God. Listen to me. This is a verse worth repeating, giving attention to, hiding in your heart, making it a life verse, whatever. This verse guides so much of my life. Listen, I'm going to put it up on the screen. Listen to it again. Students, pay attention to this. Youth in our church, pay attention to this. This can guide you from so much trouble in your life. Whether then whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Listen to me, you know what that means? That means I'm to brush my teeth to the glory of God. Rather than complaining that I have to brush my teeth, I give God glory that I have some. Or do your homework. Do your homework for the glory of God. Praise God, he's given you a mind to go to school. (laughs) Pay attention in church. I got to do that to the glory of God. It would be unglorifying to God to not pay attention to his word when it's being proclaimed. Uh, Think about this. When I root for my team, I've got to even do that in a way that glorifies God. (laughs) Oh, who? Anyway, all right. So when I go on a date, I've got to do that for the glory of God. When I reply on Twitter, Do it for the glory of God. When I post something on Instagram, I got to do it for the glory of God. When I'm responding with Snapchat, I got to do it for the glory of God. Does this make sense? Yes, it does. But is it so hard? Verse 32, he says, hey, then give no offense either to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Did you know Paul just included everybody? (laughs) That's what he's saying to the Jews, to the Greeks, and even to the church. That's everybody. Don't give offense to anybody. 
Our freedoms are to be used in a way that will glorify God and be cognizant of how it will affect the conscience of others. And sure, people, listen to me, here's the truth. People are going to be offended by the gospel, but they shouldn't be offended by the way we live it. So give no offense there means to be blameless. And when we're doing everything for the glory of God, we will be blameless. So our freedom was not simply given to be given. It was given to us to glorify the Lord Jesus. So we have to understand the principle and the purpose. And then lastly, we understand the pattern of Christian freedom. The pattern of Christian freedom. Look there in verse 33. He says, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many. That's the pattern. That's what Paul lived so that they may be saved. That's what Paul was doing. That was his pattern. I give up me so that people can be saved. So then he simply says, he says, be imitators of me. And here's the pattern he's following, just as I also am of Christ. Just by way of reminder, Paul had lived with the Corinthians for 18 months. They saw everything that he did. They they saw him living. They saw him breathing. They saw him eating. They saw him doing all these kind of things. And they knew that Paul constantly sought the good of others above his own self. Paul Paul put their needs, the profit of others, even the, the needs of the Corinthians he put above his own. When he said, I'm not even willing for you guys to pay me because I knew it would be a hardship for you. Paul demonstrated this over and over and over again. Why? Why would Paul do that? Why would you do it? Why would I do it? So that people can be saved. That's why. He lived the crucified life. He died to himself. He put others first. He did this so that they could hear and see the gospel. And Paul would set aside any of his freedoms for the sake of people to be saved. And so he says, hey, imitate me. That word is the word mimic. I don't know how many of you ever used to have one of those type of machines, but you'd put a paper in it. And then you would roll it through, and it would make copies of it. Y'all remember that? Thank you, Miss Gail. Yeah, it had to be purple. Right? That was, that was mimicking something. It was like this results in this. It's the same thing here, there. That's what Paul's saying. Listen, live your life the same way you saw me live it. Mimic me. Imitate me. There's a great point of application there, isn't there? It it begs to be asked, doesn't it? Can we go around telling people, hey, follow me? Paul wasn't afraid to tell somebody to follow him. That's staggering. He lived in such a way he could tell other people, mimic me. You know what that's called? That's called discipleship. That's what that's called. We're discipling people in the way that we follow Christ as we've been taught, how other people taught us how to follow Christ. Paul says, you've seen it in me, now live like that. I saw it in Jesus, and I'm living how I saw Jesus live. Follow me, follow my example, as I'm following the example of Christ. So how did Christ live? That's the question. Well, Christ gave up his freedoms for our good. Y'all know that, right? Y'all know this. This is the gospel. But in case you don't know, just quickly, look in Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. Jesus emptied himself for the glory of God and the good of his neighbor. The Bible says, but he emptied himself. There it is, taking the form of a bondservant. In other words, Jesus Christ said, hey, I have some rights. I'm the king of the universe, but I'm going to give those up 
For the glory of my Father and for your good, and being found in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of men, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Jesus even went to the extreme of dying before he would put somebody else's needs ahead of his own. No, before he would put his needs ahead of other people. That's how seriously he took this. So how do I use my freedom for the glory of God and the good of my neighbor? In summary fashion, I just understand those principles, understand the purpose, and I, and I pay attention to the pattern. So now, now that we've dealt up here in the theoretical for a long time, let me bring you down to the very practical stuff. We're going to close with just a series of 12 questions, and if you're you're the writing kind, or you've like, man, uh, you, hey, can you send that to me? Now is your time to write it down so I don't have to send it to you. <laughs> but ask Elizabeth. She'd be glad. She has the outline, and she can just send it out through the church. But, but here's, if you want to know, listen to me, church. If you want to know, when I get into the gray areas, how can I live for the glory of God and the good of my neighbor? Here are 12 questions that you can ask about anything that will help you determine whether you should or you shouldn't do it. Should I go see an R-rated movie? That was a question that was asked back in the 80s or 90s. We've changed so much, there's other questions we need to ask now. You know, the church used to ask questions like, should we go bowling, <laughs> right? Can women wear pants, right? All that stuff, right? That was all that stuff. We were wrestling with those issues, right, as a church. Today, the questions have changed. So you need, you need something. You need a filter to kind of help you figure out, can I or, or can I not do this? Well, the first one is called the worldly test. And it's simply this, will it make me look like or lead me to loving the world? If I do this, will I look like the world? Because the Bible says that we shouldn't love the world, nor the things in the world. So if this is going to lead me down that path, it's probably not going to be wise for me to do it. And that's definitely not going to be good for the people around me. Here's another question, the quality test. The quality test. In other words, is this good for me Physically, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. If it's not good for you physically, you probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> but if it's not good for you emotionally or socially, not wise. But if it's going to harm you spiritually, absolutely not. The temple test. Can I do this when I remember my body is God's temple and it must not be marred or misused? That would, that would solve a lot of those black and white questions right there. Those great questions, you know. I mean, just, just listen to me. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm just trying to help you. But the question of smoking often comes up. You're free to do it. And I will never condemn you. I love you. But here's a great question to ask. I mean, if I remember that my body is supposed to be a temple, I mean, eating ice cream every day could be the same thing. Is that good for you? No. <laughs> Your body's a temple. You got to think about it. Are you, free? are you free to eat ice cream every day? Yeah. All things are lawful, but not everything is what? profitable, not everything's beneficial, not everything's going to edify. The only thing eating ice cream every day will edify is your doctor because you're going to keep paying him. It's going to build his business up. <laughs> the glory test, will it glorify my Lord or bring shame to his name? 
will this action glorify the Lord? Will doing this with somebody else, will it glorify the Lord? Because if not, it's probably not good. The blessing test, the blessing test. Can I honestly ask God's blessing on what I'm about to do? In other words, if you were to pray, could you pray, Lord, bless what we're fixing to do? Well, that would solve some things too, wouldn't it? Hey, Lord, I'm fixing to go in this theater and watch a whole lot of people get, take their clothes off. I pray that you bless this movie in Jesus' name. Are you free to go do that? You sure are. But could you pray God's blessing over it? I, I don't know. And here's the cool thing. I'm not you. You might be able to, and I might not be able to. That's wild, isn't it? So I can't condemn you for the freedom that you have, but you can't condemn me for the freedom I have either. Amen? The reputation test. Will this damage my testimony for the Lord or my reputation as a follower of Christ? Am I free? Listen, I'm going to get real practical with y'all. Y'all know my stances on things. I'm not trying to put my stance on you. But I will not drink alcohol. You can drink it. The Bible says, hey, just don't get drunk. It's clear. Okay? Good. But when I go to the grocery store, people know that I'm a pastor of this church. I cannot put my reputation out there that I'm going to home and get drunk. I can't do it. I have to suspend that because my reputation is on the line. I can't. The consideration test. By doing this, am I being considerate of others and the effects that it might have on them? Am I being considerate by me posting this or by me doing this or by me driving here or reading this? Am I being considerate of how it may affect other people? The appearance test. Does this have the appearance of something that is wrong, suspicious, evil, or sinful? And does it even come off? The Bible says that we shouldn't even give off the appearance of evil. I mean, does it even appear to be evil? If it even appears to be evil, it's probably not wise. The weight test. Could this hinder me from running the Christian race? And if I continue to do this, is it going to cause me, is it going to hinder me? Here's a good one. Here's one that I, I just constantly, I got this one. This one's in my heart right here. The coming of Christ test. Would I be ashamed to be found doing this if Jesus were to come back right now? <laughs> I mean, because he's going to come back like a thief in the night, amen? And if Jesus were to come back, would I be ashamed to be found doing what I was doing in that moment? That's a great question to ask. It's a great question to ask. It clarifies so many things. The companion test. Here's another one. I'm telling you, here's another one. Steve Brown lives by. I try to. Can I invite Christ to go with me and participate in this? So you're free to go any concert you want to. Austin City Limit, the festival's going on right now. Should I go down there and be a part of that? You get to determine that. But can you take Christ with you? Or would you be ashamed to take Christ with you? Can Christ go with you as your companion? Would you say, hey, Jesus, you want to ride down there with me? Well, that's going to be up to you. But, but here's some really important news for you. If you're a believer, he's already with you. <laughs> 
You got to think about that. Now, you're saying, man, Christ may want me to go down there and witness. I, I Praise God. Or Christ might like to listen to this band. If that's what, You get to determine that. I'm never going to judge you for that. The last one is the peace test. After having prayed about it, do I have perfect peace about doing it? Do I have peace about it? Because I believe the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and we pray about it. If we don't have his peace, it's a real good indication we're not supposed to do it. Or when we do have perfect peace about it, we need to do it no matter what other people think about it. Amen? I mean, the peace of God is just precious and it's tender. Hopefully those are helpful to you. But, but you know, I risk by, by sharing some of my own personal preferences. Did you hear that? Preferences. I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm, I, feel, I make you feel guilty when, when you choose to do something different than I do. I'm just trying to share with you how I practically think about it. So don't take some of my examples and say, well, I guess I can't do that. No, I've just taught you. You can. You're free. Paul says you're free. If it's not explicitly forbidden in the Scripture, you're free. You may be free. You may be free to do a lot of things, but then you come to somebody else's house and they don't really appreciate that, you probably shouldn't do it if you go to their house, right? But in your house, you can probably do it. Does that make sense? Y'all okay? All right. We good? How good are you? You you're halfway good, a little good, a lot good? Are people like, man, I'm under conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's a bunch of stuff I got. Like, it's either, you know, oh, oh, praise you, Lord, or oh, me, you know? Oh, my, oh, me, oh, God. <laughs> Standing in the need of prayer. You're free, church. You're free. But whatever you do, do for the glory of God and the good of your neighbor. Let's stand to our feet. Oscar, would you and the team come? Lord, I am truly amazed. I get lost. And just all the freedom and understanding, God, the privilege that you give to us as a believer. Lord, I just pray that you continue to cultivate grace in our hearts and in our church, that we wouldn't use our freedoms in a way to condemn others. Or when others see us exhibiting our freedom, they wouldn't want to condemn us. We would just live like Jesus, glorify you and love each other. Teach us what that means, oh God. I pray even now, Father, for that one here today who may not know you, That one here today who continues to hear about the things of God, they came here this morning wondering, is there a God? And right now, Lord, they sense the power of your Holy Spirit upon their life. They can't explain that, but they know it's real. So let me speak to you just for a moment. If in the sound of my voice today, you would not know where you would go if you were to take your last breath. If you're like Natalie and you're on life support, the truth is that we all are. None of us knows when we'll take our next or last breath. If you do not know where you would spend eternity, here's something that you could do today. From the bottom of your heart, you could just say some things like this to the God of this universe, and, and you say it from your heart, you would say, God, today I realize that I have sinned against you. I realize that I have broken your law and broken your heart. And I come guilty. 
I come today asking you to forgive me. I know that Jesus died on a cross to purchase my forgiveness. So I place my faith in what he did for me and ask you to come into my life and to make me new. I give you my life, Lord. Change me. I'm yours. Now, if you pray to kind of a prayer like that, there'll be some people down here at the altar. There'll be some people to talk to. Please come see us. But if you need prayer about anything in any shape, form, or fashion, this altar will be open and you come. May Lord, may the Lord, may the Lord do just a deep work in here through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray, oh God. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.